0: Greyhound to Trap One, over. Trap One, go ahead over. You're listening to the Trap One podcast, my name is Mark McManus. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Hayden Gribble, diddly dumb podcaster and author of the excellent Child Out of Time, Growing Up with Doctor Who in the Wilderness Years. Welcome to the podcast Hayden.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Mark. I'm I'm absolutely honoured. Thank you.
0: Uh, well, first of all, congratulations on the book. Um, absolutely loved it. It's a great read, and it's been storming the Kindle charts as well. I Understand?
1: It has indeed. Yes, it's sold very well. I've uh, it's passed my expectations to be honest, uh, and it's still early days as well. I think it's only really been out about three or four weeks, so. Um, yeah, so uh, hopefully uh, there'll, there'll be a bit of a, a sort of Christmas surge for people who are uh, scrambling around for Doctor Who presents as well. So uh, yeah, so absolutely. hopefully it will reach uh, many more uh, other people. Uh, stocking filler as well, perhaps.
0: Definitely make it a great Christmas <laughs> present. I'm just kind of sitting under the radar because normally this time of year my wife bans me from buying books and DVDs so that she's got Christmas presents to buy. Um, uh, right. so I just kind of, uh, yeah, just snuck this one in pretty much just under the wire. So I was uh, pleased I got to read it now. So yeah, what gave you <laughs> the idea to write the book?
1: Uh, well, the idea uh, stemmed from an article that, that I wrote for the Doctor Who Appreciation Society and their fanzine, uh, The Celestial Toy Room. And I wrote it back in 2010, um, around about the time actually that Matt Smith was just about to start uh, as the Doctor. And it was it was just just a sort of brief in, introduction really uh, to the readers of that fanzine about you know someone who maybe had a less than conventional uh, doctor who upbringing as it were um i was actually born the summer uh, of 1989 which as any hardened doctor who fan would know um that was also the summer that season 26 uh, was sort of wrapping up production and i think survival was actually being uh, it's Outside broadcast uh, recording days, I think, fell literally a day or two after my birth. So it was. Um, so there was always this this really sort of intriguing end and beginning. Obviously, you know, I've I've been born, and Doctor Who was coming to an end, and the show was such a big part of my life throughout the nineties. Even though, to someone who didn't have the disposable income of the you know just so that they could go out and buy the new adventures or the vhss or you know cassettes whatever it was books um you know it's it's always sort of in it's intrigued me let alone everyone else as to how i became so obsessed with it so i sort of wanted to go back and i wanted to explore that in a sort of deeper vein really um and uh, and with the book uh, that's what i did
0: so Kind of had a similar um, kind of background in that I I did see well my any kind of regular listeners might remember my first story was uh, the Happiness Patrol in 1988, so I All got right, kind of well. less than two seasons um, and then you know Doctor Who finished as you say in 1989, um, mm. so it's similar in a way that I got that little taste of it um, and then left wanting more, um, which at that time you know it was before the kind of the UK Gold repeats that kind of thing. Um, Mm. so it was like the way you describe you know you're kind of scrambling around looking for the books um, I really kind of yeah related to that that kind of hunting around bookshops and things you're looking for the target books to to fill in Mm. the gaps and then once you get kind of get a reference book uh, that kind of helps you to map it out and you know just kind of the scale of the of the task of, of watching them all don't you oh
1: absolutely yes absolutely I used to have um I used to have a a Doctor Who reference guide called uh, The Television Companion that was released about 98, I think it was. And in the back of that, it had an availability checklist. And I just remember going through that and just checking off, uh, you know, which one I had the target novel for, which one I'd seen. But uh, but, but going back to what you just said about UK Gold, to deprive myself even more, my parents did not have uh, satellite television at that point. So... I mean, for anyone listening overseas, in the UK, this really was the only chance that you had to watch classic Doctor Who back in the day, on television anyway. Um, There had been a a repeat run of stories in the early 90s, but I was far too young to remember them. I've I've got slight memories of um, watching stuff like Dimensions in Time, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, sort of sitting on my mum's bed watching... Dimensions in time, thinking, what the hell's going on? Yeah. And of course, twenty five years later, I'm still thinking that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then I also had, um you know, I, I had a, a very sort of vague memory of uh, going to the Natural History Museum and seeing a black and white footage of John Hertzway saying, "Good grief, is the Stegosaurus?" Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, and, and thinking. You know, that, that that's Wurzel of yeah. um, So so knowing people who had been known for playing the Doctor first, but knowing them as these other characters, these other sort of childhood characters. So it it was a it was a it was a deprived time really. <laughs> I, but there, there was there was one occasion when I I was. Um, uh, I was desperate to watch the Three Doctors because I'd seen in the Radio Times that it was going to be broadcast on UK Gold. And bearing in mind now, uh, listeners, that you know this this was a this was a time way before uh, sort of TV on demand, Netflix, all the rest of it, iPlayer, um, even you know like there, there was, the internet was in such an infancy at that point, you know, and, and no one really had the internet at home um, in the mid 90s, so. To see that and to think, God, this is the only chance I've actually got to watch this this show. I really, really, really want to watch the Three Doctors, and absolutely pestering my parents to call anyone they knew, relatives, friends, you name it, to record this. I must have been an omnibus edition,
0: yeah. um,
1: and uh, and then flatly refusing. And then I remember sort of sobbing, looking up at my Thunderbirds clock in my uh, in my bedroom and seeing the, the hands uh, click past 20 past 10, I think it was, <laughs> and, yeah. and thinking, I'm that, well, that's it. I'm never going to get to see this now. I'm just being thoroughly miserable for the rest of the day. Would, it was a different time.
0: <laughs> it was, yeah. I would, likewise, was I was a deprived child, and we didn't have Sky. Um, but I had an auntie that did and would record the, the omnibuses. Because it used to be on um, the story. Would The individual episodes would be on during the week. And then we mm-hmm. the omnibus on Sunday, I think. That's um, it, yeah. So it was if she was up early enough on a Sunday morning um, and I'd given her a blank tape and she remembered and everything. So it was very hit and miss at that stage. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I filled in a, a lot of gaps there. But I, I, I'm so jealous of um, the kids now, kind of, who get into Doctor oh, Who. They've hey. got every available episode on tap. They've got, you know, the kind of books, the toys. And you talk about, like, kind of... In the nineties and stuff, there was um, there was a real lack of anything like that, wasn't it, for younger fans? Mm, mm,
1: absolutely. I mean, we 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 could risk slipping into the four Yorkshiremen sketch here, but yeah. <laughs> things were, really were they were so different back then. Because even though I mean, you, you look at the brilliant stuff that Character Options have yeah. uh, have created over the last yeah you know, over the last several years. I mean, when you think back, the only Doctor Who figures that we had was a very select run of Daypole figures, which Really, they weren't really passing resemblances, were they? No. I had a sort of, I had a um a, a very skinny Cyberman.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I had a green canine, yeah, uh, whose head then fell off. So uh, after I watched Full Circle, I used to sort of act out that bit yeah. when when Roman is sort of <laughs> uh, trying to scare the Marshmen off with a, with yeah. a Canine's head, and I had a. a you know the the, the two handed Davros. Um, these the, these were just toys that my parents had bought for me uh, in the, again the late nineties, which is uh, where most of the, of the book is sort of set. Mm. Um, uh, these they must have just been on the shelf for about ten years at that point.
0: Yeah, I, these
1: I, these kind of things. Uh, God,
0: I got the Seventh Doctor um, Ace, uh, a red Dalek. Um, I think oh I got yeah, sort of like oh, wow. Christmas, and then for my birthday I got the the console. And the TARDIS exterior, um, but it was a five-sided console.
1: Yes, was, yes, uh, because yeah. they they've been given publicity shots, hadn't they? They were,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: they didn't go on on set like they would now and measure up. Um, but, uh, yes, do you know? I, I remember looking at a picture um, of that console set and just being green with envy for anyone who had one, because by this point, I mean this was you know this was the height of um star wars again mm. uh that sort of like 97 98 period where most of my toys consisted of jerry anderson toys so likes of captain scarlet and thunderbirds and also the star wars toys which are really this sort of overly muscular um action figures of the, of the late 90s where luke skywalker's got like rippling biceps yeah. you know and all the rest. and um and then i i so so i i I'd seen and I had these sort of play sets for like Tracy Island and whatnot. And then I see the TARDIS set and I think, can I have that? And of course, yeah. now you you just go on eBay and you just, I mean, yes, okay, it's quite expensive. I, think, I don't think I, I've seen a, a TARDIS uh, console set for under a hundred pounds for that, for that specific daypole one.
0: Really? Um,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, well, it's, uh, I'll probably go on there now and I'll, I'll probably prove wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they, um, but, I was just—I was so so jealous of anyone who ever owned one, because um, it, it just looked incredible. You know, it's just something to play with. I used to use um, stickle bricks as my TARDIS console.
0: Yeah, it's, that's the <laughs> thing. When you're a kid, you can you can adapt to anything, can't you? And, and use your imagination. Um, oh, you can!
1: Yeah, Pr- I mean, Princess Leia was Leela.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as much as Captain I mean, Black
1: was the Master. Sorry, the, go on, Mark.
0: Go on. <laughs> the. Um, Compared to, that like, you say, the character options ones we've got now, they do leave a lot to be desired. But at the time, I absolutely loved them. Uh, you know, Seven Doctor had his question mark umbrella, and Ace had the baseball bat, and everything. It was um, you're acting out these battles with the Daleks and the Cybermen. Um, I've still got them all as well. It's um, oh, never kind brilliant. of uh, well. I
1: I was relatively lucky because my parents were forever getting my like my possessions lost up in the loft. Hmm. So the uh, so. A lot of my action figures as a kid um, I think I went up in the loft when I was about 17, 18, I, I discovered all these old, you know, the old Matchbox toys or the old Thunderbirds crafts and um, and I actually found as well and I've, I've subsequently lost it in the uh, in the years that, that have passed but um, there was a Bluebird Dalek uh, sort of play set, which I remember, I remember we bought from I think it was, what was the name of the toy shop? Um, it was in Newmarket in uh cambridgeshire i remember that but it was um oh what was it called toy master so that was oh, it yeah. i remember going in toy master um and um picking up up this dalek playset and it was a bit like sort of the poly pocket or mighty max yeah. um play that you'd get in the 90s and it had a little uh sort of uh, it had davros it had a dalek and it had the fourth doctor in there as well um, I remember playing with that so much, and then losing it for years and then discovering it again. Yeah. It was just I could have cried. <laughs> uh,
0: so, you've also got um, contributions a book from Andrew Smith and Paul Mars. Um, oh, yes. Paul Mars designed the cover, which is excellent. Really, um, really you. evocative of the uh, of what the book's about. Um, and, and a great introduction from Andrew Smith. So, how, how did that come about? How did you get to know those guys? <laughs>
1: Well, Andrew Smith last year, I mean, Andrew's a lovely guy, really, really nice fella. And I met him uh, at the Capitol event that the DWAS held in Crawley last summer. Um, and because I've, I've, you know, written for the DWAS and I've sort of interviewed for Diddly Dum uh, and I've also interviewed for, uh, you know, for them as well. I interviewed Fraser Hines uh, for them several years ago. Um, they asked me if I could uh, go up on stage and um interview Andrew Smith and Rob Shearman so uh, I and Chris Achilles uh, as well now I'm just name dropping just yeah. clangs going on <laughs> everywhere but um, but afterwards um after we we uh, after I conducted the interview we went out to the bar and I just just stood there for a good couple of hours just chatting with Andrew you know he's a really fascinating guy you know for someone so young to have uh, sort of been given the keys to the TARDIS as it were and, and to actually get a story on uh, on on screen, you know, he was living uh, many of our dreams, yeah. um, and then to sort of to walk away from uh, you know from the writing career and then go into the police force and then subsequently come back to it, you know, as a really just a really fascinating guy, and I'd um, I'd kept in contact with him uh, over a subsequent year, and then last summer uh, I thought right okay well this this is the right time to publish this this book now, um, and I thought well I really I need a forward from somebody. Um, you know, because so many books are written about Doctor Who, aren't they? You know, and they're, they're all about a, a wide range of topics. Um, but I've genuinely never, ever seen a book written before about the wilderness years and about being that age. You know, sort of the the generation that sort of slipped uh, between the cracks behind the sofa. You know, mm. that we didn't grow up with the show and we haven't grown up during the new series. Yeah. And I really wanted to reflect that with... Uh, by sort of, by collaborating with a writer who was obviously in touch with Doctor Who, but also had a significant contribution himself, and I thought, well, he was in, he was so young when he wrote Full Circle, you know, it, it would be interesting to sort of to get his perspective of the book as a forward. And I wrote to him. I wrote an email. And I said, oh, you know, I've, I've got got this book that I want to, to bring out, and uh, it'd be really really good if someone could um, could provide me a forward. And Andrew, that afternoon, replied back and said, yeah, of course I will. That would be great. And within about a month or two, he's provided me with a forward. And, yeah, I was absolutely beaming. <laughs> <Fantastic>. <laughs> but but with, I... but with Paul, I mean, I I still haven't. Sorry, Mark, I've, I've just completely trodden over you there. That's.
0: i was just say, I uh, met Andrew Smith very briefly a couple of years ago at um, Big Finish Day 5. Just oh, sort right. of um, talked to him for about 10 minutes. But like you say, just an incredibly nice, approachable guy. Just really like talking to another fan, um, not like talking to, you know, a, a writer, an actor or anything. He kind of seemed genuinely interested in in my thoughts about stuff, my experience of watching Doctor Who. It was, uh, yeah, just came away from me thinking, what a top bloke, yeah. You
1: know? mm, absolutely. And, and with Paul Mars, I've never actually met Paul. But when I do, I'll certainly buy him a pint yeah. um, <laughs> to say thank you for such a lovely cover. Um, I befriended Paul on Facebook quite a while ago. And, um, and I saw quite a lot of his, his illustrations. He's illustrated a few children's books. Um, and also just just for his own uh, enjoyment and also for you know, sort of private commissions. Mm-hmm. And I just messaged him out of the blue and I said, I don't suppose that you do front covers, do you? Because I've I've had this, this sort of this vision of what I wanted the front cover to be. And initially, the, the original front cover that I wanted was something that was actually quite close to the wife in space <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> when well, I look back on it now. So, so Paul said, well, okay, he says that, that sounds great, but it does sound a bit too close. So, um, so do you have any other ideas? And I said, well, yeah, that actually it would be great if I could, cause I, I used to have a wardrobe in my bedroom. I used to sort of use as the TARDIS exterior. As it were. Um, and I said, it, it'd be great if I could have, if I could have a picture of a wardrobe, uh, with like a sign on it saying police, like a hand-drawn sign saying police box, and a little boy in his pajamas with his dressing gown and his Tom Baker scarf, and scattered, you know, the, the floor sort of adorned with Doctor Who um, sort of paraphernalia from back there, you know, that that I owned, um, yeah. sort of walking into the wardrobe, um, you know, because Doctor Who has always had this sort of Narnia feel, hasn't it? Really, yeah. Um, so there you have that sort of that that sort of work in with it as well and he literally within about two days he got back to me and he said something like this and I just said perfect absolutely perfect and by the end of that week he'd sent me the original watercolor as well so it was oh it was brilliant when I first saw it it was incredible I'd, I'd recently moved house um around that time it was literally about a week or two afterwards um and a lot of stresses that go hand in hand with uh, with moving house, of course. Mm-hmm. So to see something as lovely as that really did make me feel quite emotional. Yeah. Actually, to think, wow, you know, this is really something. Um, God, I, I hope I hope the, <laughs> I hope the words inside the book do the
0: cover justice. You know, <laughs> it's, it's great, even down to the green cane and the uh, the toys you say scattered around the floor. It's uh, <laughs> it's, it's a really nice piece of work. Um, something I was wondering actually when I was reading it and I, I can look, did a little bit of research but I couldn't find anything who coined or not coined but applied the term wilderness years to Doctor Who first I, didn't know if it was I don't know it seems, it's a story. bit of a
1: chicken and the egg story isn't it I guess really because it, it's sort of in it's it's in the common Doctor Who vernacular isn't it but it is. none of us really know I, I, I think it may go back to wasn't someone it, like David J. Howe? Was it?
0: It could be, yeah, because it's. I mean, it can only really been applied since the series came back, so it is kind of in the internet age, Um yeah. makes it easier oh, spread. Mm. But, but it is, it's like you say, completely common parlance now. Every, everybody use it, and mm. everybody knows what you mean by it. But I just wonder who first, who first applied it in that context. And I, I kind of looked around the internet a little bit, but um, yeah, I couldn't find anything. But mm. uh, Wildly well, answers on a anyway. postcard yeah. to
1: trap one at BBC Television Centre, <laughs> Wood Lane, London. <laughs> but no, yeah, that's that's a great that's a great question. That that would be a great and a Doctor Who pub quiz. That would be a great yeah. pub quiz question, wouldn't it?
0: Wow, it's yeah, <laughs> because uh, whoever did it, it's uh, so take some credit for that. It's very um, mm. uh, it's very evocative and uh, and, and let like say wildly successful as well. Mm hmm.
1: And of course, there's there's a juxtaposition with that term, isn't there? Because really, when the show came off the air, this is where Doctor Who took off in every other media conceivable. You know, yeah. it was obviously the New Adventures book sort of replaced the Target books by this point. Um, you know, I mean, you had the audio, but then you also had stuff like uh, BBV. Um, real time who of course had been going on through the 80s but then the, they sort of lent more on um independent productions didn't they so yeah uh, it was a very, actually a very yeah. fervent time and dr who on radio as well. Yeah, uh, the ghosts of event space and the paradise of death yeah, um would it
0: be on radio like, yeah. oh what would have it have been before i think um i remember listening to them at time and and, and recording them on uh, on cassettes Oh, wow. Um, yeah. But I can't remember what it was broadcast on. But yeah, I mean it was it was exciting at the time. It was it was kind of big mm-hmm. news. Um but uh and then probably with the exception of um the Ghost of End Space and the Paradise of Death, things were more geared to adults then. Um mm-hmm. because it was people who'd grown up with Doctor Who, and then we would have been the kind of the last kids, you know, to kind of cotton onto it. Like I said, the new adventure is mm-hmm. very much um adult orientated and uh Um, Or at least there's a big finish quite, you know, it's for everyone, isn't it? It's it's quite kind of family friendly. But yeah, like I was saying, you know, there was a a lack of kind of toys and and, and that kind of thing. Um, Mm. Whereas now you've got, you know, like kind of activity books and costumes and everything like that for kids. It's um, Mm. it's kind of back squarely where it should be in a way.
1: Mm. Absolutely. And it will take off again. I think next year, I think there'll be a whole new audience coming to Doctor Who Definitely. through uh, through the lovely Jodie Whittaker.
0: Yeah, on the day of recording, the um, the BBC have released her costume. Um, yes, they have. Of course, yeah. Saw this today, so it's um, uh, braces over a, um, a kind of a, a kind of a dark <laughs> rainbow. Motif. I mean, I don't know why I'm describing it. Everyone will have seen it that's listening to this. Um, <laughs> but it's a pretty cool look, I think. What do what do you think of it? Uh, it's growing on
1: me. Yeah. It, it's always difficult, isn't it? Because with this is you know, we we are speaking literally hours since the unveiling and yeah. there's a hell of a lot to take in here because not only do you have you know, a completely new wardrobe for this doctor. I, I mean, there, there are people online who are sort of saying, Oh, that, that looks a bit like Tom Baker's coat or, uh, you know, the trousers are the same TARDIS blue as David Tennant's suit and mm. all this stuff. Um, I, th- I, I don't know. I, I, I like it. Um, but it's not really until I see, it's a bit like seeing the new doctor in, yeah. um, Uh, sort of making their first appearance it isn't until they're wearing the clothes in the show that it really starts to grow on me I remember look I remember back when um, uh, when David Tennant uh, took over the role and there were a lot of publicity pictures of him and Billy Piper outside uh, the TARDIS and I remember looking at that and just thinking well that's a bit plain really because all it is, it's it's just a suit and a coat yeah i just thinking, oh, okay, then. And, of course, that's gone down as one of the most iconic and you know, is wearing the, uh, the Converse trainers as well, isn't he? So so with this suit, I mean, it's an amalgamation of a lot of things that I think don't quite go. Yeah. Um, but that suits the Doctor. You know, that is what the Doctor's all about. I mean, the, the, going back to um, uh, to the fourth Doctor, I mean, you know, a the, the ridiculously long scarf. Uh, with a waistcoat and you know this sort of uh, these grey trousers and it that's a mismatch of of just clothes that he looks like he's he's gone into the tARDIS um you know in, into the into the tARDIS wardrobe and just literally picked up the first thing he sees and that that works for the doctor i think um it it doesn't look too uniform no which i like and what we've seen in recent years is obviously um the uh you know the, the the costume sort of tweaked or changed almost every um you know almost every episode i mean you look at capaldi i mean capaldi had a very sort of starchy um almost like an undertaker's um suit didn't he to start off with and then he starts yeah. introducing hoodies and t-shirts and then as his car- as his uh, character softens so It's early day. I like it. I think it it, it suits Jodie Whittaker and it it suits the character of the Doctor. Um, What I am intrigued by is the. Well, of course, I'm intrigued by it all. But it's. uh, Have you noticed that it looks like she's wearing TARDIS socks?
0: I hadn't noticed that. But now that I zoom in, (laughs) yeah, that could be the. uh, Yeah, it's like a TARDIS blue. You see some white lines as though maybe the. uh, Yeah, it's uh, the windows or something like that. (laughs) I think, like you say, the the uniform thing. Kind of the, the JNT thing once he came in isn't it where mm. he they had a set costume that didn't really vary with the doctors up to that and, and the 21st century doctors it's more a style of dressing and I think that's that's better you know, like the Tom yeah. Baker the scarf was really the main the mainstay when the, the, the coat would change the waistcoat would change you know everything else around it mm. um, yeah. I think that it, a style of dressing is better than a set uniform that they have to wear all the time. Uh, yeah, but I think a long coat's always good for flapping behind them as they run away from explosions and things like that, isn't it? So you want to <laughs> Absolutely,
1: that. yes. Yeah, but I am. I'm looking forward to the new series. I think. I think several years ago, and even as a kid, I really didn't want a, a female doctor because I actually felt like the doctor was someone who I could look up to, who used his, you know, his intellect to get out of trouble, not a gun. You know, mm. you'd, you'd watch. Uh, you know, I'm a big James Bond fan Um, and James Bond would kill people to get out of, out of trouble. But the doctor, yes. Okay. He may end up killing people as well, which has obviously been explored over the years, but you know, that, that's never his, that's never his, you know, sole focus. You know, if he can get out, if he can get out of a situation without without anyone being hurt, then he will. Um, And I always thought, well, if the doctor became a woman, we'd be missing that a bit, Um, you know, sort of, I, this almost kind of echoes what Pete Davison said, um, but actually, I've been th- I've been thinking about it more and more of the last few years, especially since I've got into podcasting, and I think it was time. Yeah. And I've seen several uh, sort of fan, uh, like fan portraits where they've got uh, sort of like a, a collage of all of the doctors, and now Jodie now Jodie's there it really does stand out and you do think oh maybe we should have had a female doctor earlier yeah as well you know just to sort of maybe I, I, I wouldn't like to say where anyway because you know all of the all of the actors you know given their role and have been you know to a varying degree they've all been very good and, and successful um in the role so I wouldn't want to sort of knock one of the doctors out and put a female you know a, sort of a contemporary uh actor of the time yeah. uh, to go in there but but you know, But I, I think this is an exciting change and we can't escape the fact that Doctor Who has dwindled in popularity since the 50th and since Capaldi's taken over and I think this is the shot in the arm that we invigorate the series for another 10 years.
0: Absolutely, yeah, it completely relies on, like you say, change and renewal. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a rumour I read um, earlier today, I think it was... um David A. McKinty wrote some of the new adventures and misadventures and, and whatnot um, on Facebook. was saying that the Radio Times next week um, have a story that Chris Chibnall's writing every episode, all 10 episodes of series 11.
1: Right, okay.
0: If Chibnall writes every episode, that's quite a big departure because what you've always had with Doctor Who is the, all the different voices. You know, if uh, each week you've got a different type of story and a different style. That, that mm. could be quite jarring at first.
1: Yeah, it, see, that contradicts a few stories I've heard, that there was going to be a writer's room this year.
0: Yeah, I heard that early on. Um, but I mean, there's always a ton of rumours as well, isn't there, before mm. <laughs> before a series, because uh, the tabloids particularly will print anything, won't they, that they think might be coming along. So, Well, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they will indeed, yeah.
0: Uh, so uh, um final question was going to be any um plans to write more in the future any any other doctor who projects anything like that coming up
1: um not so much coming up i've had um i've had some very nice feedback from this book and a lot and a lot of people saying you know some, such wonderful things about it um i wouldn't like to write anymore it's that story's kind of put to bed now really um there's nothing else I can really write about from my past about Doctor Who um I don't think I mean unless Big Finish or Cardiff or I don't know um BBC Books come anywhere you know but if they come and say hey um do you want (laughs) to do you want to contribute to our series or what have you I I don't really know whether I can to be honest I I
0: Um, heard there's a job going at Doctor Who magazine (laughs) <laughs> I think there's a few, isn't there, unfortunately? Yeah. <laughs> right, now. Yeah.
1: But um, but no, I, I think I'm, I'm more interested um, at the moment in getting my next book up to scratch and um, sort of getting that out there for sort of February, March time. And it's, it's a book which I think a lot of Doctor Who fans will like because it's science fiction, um, it's funny, it's sad, um, it's sort of got it's it's got little bits of who and hitchhikers and red dwarf in there all sort of mixed together because those are one sort of my main influences when it comes to uh to sci-fi um so of course they're going to be in there but um it's i mean as a way of non-fiction i don't think so for the time being but to coin a well-used mm. phrase who knows yeah
0: so um have you got a name for the next book?
1: Uh, yeah, the name book is... Uh, the name book? Sorry. <laughs> the, the next book is called Captain Random versus the Sandman.
0: Cool. I'll look out for that. Look forward to that one.
1: Lovely. Thank you very much.
0: Uh, thank you very much for joining me. It's a pleasure speaking to you today.
1: Not at all. It's a pleasure being on. Thanks very much, Mark.
0: Uh, where can we find you? Uh, Twitter, you're at Gribbler12. G-R-I-B-B-L-A-12.
1: Yep, that's me, yep.
0: Are you regular on the uh, podcast?
1: I am indeed, yep. Um, and I've also got um, a Facebook page which is www.haydengribbleauthor. Uh, my website is www.too many W's <laughs> <laughs> Um And I also do a James Bond podcast called Podcasters Royale as well. So look out for that on iTunes too.
0: Hayden Gribble, thank you very much. Child Out of Time is available now, and it's a great read. Thank you very much for listening, and please join me again next weekend when Jason Miller will be joining me to discuss Jonathan Morris' twelfth Doctor novel, Plague City. Bye for now.